Hey, hey. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, uh, let's get after it. Let's get in there. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 4. We'll start in verse 1. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. And it says this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went, went out of the city and sat to the east and or east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under a shade till uh, he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed the plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up next, the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching wind, and the sun beat down on his head, the head of Jonah, so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes. I do well angry to be, uh, I, I, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which, uh, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should you not, and should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are almost 120,000 persons whom whom do not know their right hand from their left hand, and also much cattle. And that's kind of the end. <laughs> it's weird, huh? It's this weird moment that we come to at the end of this book. Kind of this, what is happening right now? What is going on? Where's the happy ending? We love happy endings. How many of you love happy endings in books? right? You like happy endings in movies, right? And this one feels like I'm a bit torn. What is going on? What is going on? When I was a kid growing up, uh, we had, uh, I, my very first car was a 1981 Chevy Bonneville station wagon. It was burgundy and it was gross, okay? And this car was really interesting in the, in the fact that uh, it had some really unique features, okay? So uh, one of the features that it would have is that you could drive it, and then you could take the key out of it, and it would just keep going. Does that make sense? Like, I would pull up to school, pull the key out of the ignition, and it would just keep running. It would just keep running, right? I could turn the car off, and it would just chug, get a chug, get a chug, get a chug, get a chug. My friends are like, your car's running. I'm like, no, it's It'll die eventually. Don't worry about it. Like, it was such a weird car. Like, and for no reason, it would just do that, right? It used to have this really weird feature where if I turned on uh, the air conditioning, 
it somehow rerouted the exhaust system through the air conditioning vents. And so what my brothers and I would have to do is we'd have to wear a gas mask. So we would go down the road with a gas mask on driving in this car. And people are like, oh my gosh, that car's on fire as like the exhaust is coming out of the window. Yeah, my parents were like, you're fine. You know, you'll be okay. So don't you ever complain about the car that your parent give you because I'm about telling you this is like a real deal. So I could have died. My parents were like, you're fine. Keep driving the car. So the third thing that it did is it would backfire, right? It would just backfire randomly. And our house lived at the, uh, when I was in high school, lived at the bottom of the hill. And so uh, during winter, this car was really angry at me that I tried to start it. It was like, no, 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 I'm old. I don't want to get started in the winter time, right? I, uh, I am, I'm angry that you even tried. And so I would turn this car on. And then this one morning we were driving up this hill and my car was angry because I turned it on and it didn't like it. And it was kind of sputtering up this hill. And at the very top of this hill amongst the snow was this little child so precious, so beautiful. And as I was driving up the hill, my car decided that it was going to backfire. Bang! And all of a sudden, I looked back in my rearview mirror, and it shot out a puff of smoke and covered this child head to toe, just single tears coming through the soot on his face. I'm like, we got to get out of here, right? That kind of stuff. Now, you think I'm making that up? That is real. That really happened. And this is the car that I was to drive around. Now, let's just say this. Let's just say somebody comes to me, and they said, hey, we've seen what a great driver you are. Like, you're a really good driver. You're really good. I've watched you take corners, and I've watched you drive in the neighborhood, and uh, we have this extra car that we thought you would like. We'd like to give to you a Porsche. And they would go, we want you to drive it. I'm like, oh my gosh, somebody gave me a Porsche. This is the most incredible thing in the whole world. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, well, wait a second. Like, Porsches are really fast. Like, and I'm not used to driving fast car because this piece of junk, you know, barely accelerates, right? Okay, but, and if maybe I accelerated too fast, maybe I'd like go off a cliff. Like that could be pretty scary. And then like, but they take like, Porsches take like premium fuel. Like this thing, I can literally, uh, I can put anything in it. I can put water in it and it'll run. It never turns off, right? And so premium fuel, that's really expensive. Like I don't know if I, I don't know if I can afford to, to drive. You know what? I, I think that, I think I'm good. That would be crazy, right? That would be so crazy. And yet, oftentimes, that's how we live in our lives. God's inviting us into this beautiful, mysterious journey of life. And we continue to go back to this old life, this old way of doing things. He's come to bring you life and life to the full, a wholeness, a fullness that he's created from you from the beginning of time, but as a result of this sin life that you continue to take on, that your culture keeps propagating and telling you is the best life, you start living this boring, drab life, and it affects your soul. And what I keep bringing back to you is you become soul sick. Now, Jesus, on the other hand, has offered you to this beautiful plan to find life and life to the full, to be a part of his great commission, his work in revolutionizing the world. That's why Jesus, when they say, how should we pray? He ends with saying, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is here and he's inviting those of us who say, we, we acknowledge that you are the king of kings and the Lord of lords, that we now participate in heaven on earth realities 
But if we're honest, we're so tethered to earth that we can't see heaven. We can't see what's going on all around us. We can't see the mystery and the beauty and the glory of all that he wants to invite you and I into. Because to be honest, we're still driving in a Bonneville when he's invited us into a Porsche. This way of life, and it's not about a thing. It's about a reality. It's about a person. That person is Jesus Christ. And he is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. And he is paving the way has paved the way for you and I to live into what it is to be called a Christian, a Christ follower. And what we see in this passage with Jonah is it ends very bizarre, very weird, very awkward, and that's on purpose. Because what this book has been written to do all the way back then to right now is that it causes us to look in the mirror and it says, what about you? It says, what about you? Where are you at? That's what it wants you to do. Because it knows it's going to bring tension to us. It knows how much we want that resolve. We want for Jonah to be like, oh gosh. Oh God, I, I, didn't, I messed up. I screwed up. I, you're right. And you, you know what? I'm going to actually run back. I'm going to disciple the Ninevites, right? I'm gonna, you know, because they've just come to faith and they don't know what they're doing. Right? They were actually doing sackcloth and ashes on their animals. Like, that's crazy. Okay, so they need discipleship. Like, I'm going to go back in the city and I'm going to tell them about all that I've... Ex- no, that's not what he does. The story ends with him going, I want to be dead. And actually, he's far more focused about the fact that he doesn't have this tree giving him shade than he is about the souls that God just saved. And he's asking you to face yourself. In this. He's asking you to go, what about you. And you know the ironic thing is that Jonah is just like the other brother in the the story of the prodigal son. Did you know that? That's where you can put those two stories together. Nineveh is the younger brother that ran away and came back and received the grace of God. The older brother, as at home, he sees that the father throws a party and restores the son completely to the family. And what does the son say? Does the son go, this is the best news ever. This is so great. Oh my gosh, I've been praying with dad. I've been praying with the family that, 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 my, that my brother would come home. No, what does the older brother do? How dare you? How dare you throw a party for that wretched fool who ran away and squandered all your wealth, who looked you in your face and said, I wish you were dead, and then ran away and got rid of our property. How dare you? Who do you think you are, dad? And the father comes to the son and says, everything I have is yours. But you keep trying to earn it. You keep thinking you're better. And the story there ends with not a resolve. But the story is to set up to help us face ourselves. Who are we? And what have we been called to do? What will you do with this life? And you have to ask the question, why is this in the Bible? What is it that that, that God is trying to communicate to us? It's that Jonah's failures, our failures, should propel us to deal with the sin that's inside. The sin that believes that we're better the, the sin that believes that, that, that the rest, that the, the, the heathens out there don't deserve the same grace that we've been given. We have to face that. We have to deal with our hearts. 
And what we find all throughout scripture is this, is that God continues to use broken people to do extraordinary things. Broken people to do extraordinary things. And when those broken people understand their brokenness, they do really radical things for the kingdom of God. But we keep finding these stories all throughout scripture where people just don't get it, like the disciples. Like if you read about Jesus and the disciples, for three and a half years, Jesus spends his life with these disciples. He loves them. He cares for them. And do you realize how special it was for them to be called by a rabbi? They got written off when they were young, like three years old. They didn't make the cut. And so they went back to their kind of drab lives because they didn't become, they didn't get to fall in with the the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They weren't smart enough. They weren't religious enough. So they were like, okay, we're nobodies. And Jesus comes along and he calls them and he says, I've got a greater commission on your life than you could ever imagine. It's not just about fishing. There's a people out there. I want to invite you to share this good news that I'm about to share with you. And so he walks with them. All along this journey, they're confused about what Jesus, who Jesus is. And they, so they, you know, they, they fall asleep when he wants them to pray. They constantly think about themselves as higher and greater than they really are. And Jesus keeps reminding them, where's your faith? Where's your faith? Your faith is founded in the things of earth. It's not founded in me or in God. They keep thinking all throughout their time with Jesus, I'm on the winning team, right? We're going over, to overtake the Romans, right? We're going to reestablish the people uh, of Jesus, right? Or the people of God, the Jews, and we're going to be on the winning team. My boy Jesus here, did you see how he just did that, right? We're going to ride into Jerusalem and destroy the Romans, and I'm going to be on the winning team. That's what they're thinking. How confusing it was when their king gets taken into captivity. That's this whole bizarre scene with Peter. I love Peter. Because Peter's there and like Jesus gets arrested and Peter's like, yeah, and he lobs off because that's what he's thinking. We're in a war. He lobs off the dude's ear. And Jesus is like, you can almost see like Jesus like picking up the ear and being like, Peter, what, what are you doing? I just spent my whole ministry with you healing people and you're lobbing off ears. Like, what are you doing? But Peter's like, I want to fight. And he's like, I, I don't, how, when have we fought? When? We've just been loving people and feeding people and healing people and caring for people. And you're lobbing off ears. And he's like, yeah, that's right. I got to go, right? Because then he realizes you're not Jesus. You're not who I thought you were. You're not. So then a little girl gets around a fire and goes, hey, weren't you that dude hanging out with Jesus? He's like, not me, girl. You don't know what you're talking about. Girl, crazy, Okay. You don't know what you're talking about. And she's like, no, I'm pretty sure. He's like, no. And, he, and she's like, no, I guaranteed you. I saw with Jesus. I'm not with him. And the rooster crows. And Jesus spreads his hands. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And he dies. Peter runs away. Oh, my gosh. He called it. And he's calling it in you and me. Story of Peter, story of Jonah. It's just you and I looking in the mirror going, I think I would have done the same thing. I'm attracted to power, not weakness. Aren't you? I'm attracted. I want to be on the winning team. I want to be in the right social circle. I want to be an influencer because then everybody will know I'm a big deal. And I don't know what to do with a with God that dies. I don't know what to do with that. I want to be on the winning team. The winning team doesn't die. The winning team destroys. And here our Savior, he dies. 
resurrects in power, defeats death. Oh, you thought beating the Romans was cool? How about death, right? Jesus beats death, comes out of the grave, and everyone's like, what? His disciples are, he like meets them in the upper room, and they're like, oh my gosh, but still you have this joker, Thomas, Doubting Thomas. Can you imagine being Doubting Thomas? Like that's your name forever is Doubting Thomas. Like all the Thomases in the room are like, man, mom, dad, you know, like are you kidding me, right? Like, but like Thomas, but what does Jesus do to Thomas? Does Jesus go to Thomas and go, get out of the room? Because Thomas is like, I don't know if I believe yet. No, Jesus says, I'll meet you even in your doubt. Some of you have doubt. What does Jesus go? Hey, Thomas, get out. No, is that what you need from me? Is that what you need from me, Thomas? Is that what you need? Here, let me extend my arms as I did on the cross to you right now so you can recognize that I am who I say I am, and I'm going to do what I'm going to say I'm do. Do you know what we know about Thomas? I've been to Thomas's grave in Chennai, India. Thomas traveled farther than any, any apostle to share the good news of Jesus Christ in India, and he died there. He was martyred there. Because Why? Because Jesus extended himself in grace and mercy to his failures. And as a result of that, he headed over to India, to a heathen nation, to share this good news about this Jesus who he had met and walked with and talked with. And he shared that gospel, that good truth there to those people who did not believe. How beautiful. Why? Because Jesus meets them there. What do we find out about Peter? I love this scene in, uh, in John 21. And by the way, John's my favorite gospel because John's going to do this to us. John historically has been known, the, the, writing, the book has been known as like an eagle. Because what John does in John chapter 1 is like an eagle will be up really high in the sky like a bird, right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is God. And what does God do? He swoops down like an eagle coming across Right? And he moves into the neighborhood. And in this moment, what John is trying to help us, the, the writer John, the gospel writer John, the one that God loved, the beloved, was trying to help us understand is, look what God does. Look what God is doing. And in John 21, verse 15, it says, when they had finished breakfast, which I love, the risen Jesus is having breakfast with the disciples. Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? More than these. He said to him, yes, Lord, you, you know I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend to my sheep. And then a third time, and in case you're keeping, keeping count, how many times did Peter deny Jesus? He's redeeming this. The third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything, and you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted to. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands. And another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Verse 19, this he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God in. And after saying this, he said, follow me. When my wife and I were first married, I got married when I was 21. When my wife and I first get, got married, you know, when you first get married, 
you're in that like I love you stage. Like I love you. Oh, I love you too. Oh, I love you. Oh, I love you. I love you. I love you. You know, it's like really cute, adorable, right? And so I would tell my wife all the time, I love you. And she would say, okay. And I'd be like, well, okay, that's weird. Maybe I'm not doing it right. right? <laughs> Maybe you have to really do it right. So I'm like, I love you, you know? And she'd be like, okay. And not that she didn't say it. She just didn't say it very often. I would say it all the time. Every time we were on the phone, every time we saw each other, I love you. I love you. I just want you to know I love you. I'm so lucky to be with you. I love you. I love you. And then girl was not giving me that love back. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to like put myself out there. I'm feeling real vulnerable and broken because she's not saying, saying it back to me. I'm like, what is going on? Something is messed up. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it upright. So one night we're, we're, we're in bed and we're laying down. I'm like, I'm going to do it really good, right? You know what? You're like the, the I'm like the, you're like the moon to my ocean. And I never said that. She would have slapped me. But, but like, I was, like, really doing it up good. Like, I was telling her how much I love her and how proud I am to be her husband. And I'm so, that God sovereignly put us together, right? And it's so beautiful. And I love you. And she said, uh-huh, good night, and rolled over. And I was like, what's your deal? Seriously, I'm, like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm loving you all over the place. Like, I'm a lovey-dovey dude, right? Like, Show me some love. What's going on? Why aren't you saying I love you back? And she said, Jeff, because your I love you is not for me. It's for you. You're, you're insecure about our marriage because your mom left you when you were 12. And you're trying to use me to fulfill something deep inside of you. I won't do it. You have to find your fulfillment in God. I cannot be that for you. I cannot do that for you. I will not stand in the place of what only God can fulfill. Jeff, I do love you, but I will not be manipulated by your love. Do you know how hard that was to hear? But she was right. I think as a lot of us, I think we say, God, I love you. But really what we're saying is, we're like, God, I love you. I love you. I love you so much. You're the king of my life. I worship you. I worship you. Oh, I love you. I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. Right? Does it feel like that? This is what he's saying to Peter. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? If you do, you will do what I did. And you'll give up your life for this good news. You will crucify yourself. I am crucified with Christ. I don't live. But Christ, Paul says, lives in me, in you. Because when you truly love the Lord, you're making a decision of crucifixion. Which doesn't necessarily mean in your particular context, that you are physically going to die, but you are going to die. That's what you're being invited into. And as you go through that crucifixion experience, what you are naturally going to do next is you're going to care for other people. Your life will be obsessed about loving other people the way Jesus loved them because the posture of your life is this, not this. It's this, like Jesus was. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Not this. 
What do your words look like? What do your posts look like? What are your conversations about the people in your school that you disagree with? Is it like this? Or is it like this? Because this is what Jesus is inviting us into. This is good news. They will know us by our, say it with me, love. Our love. Do you know what this world sees in believers right now? What we're against and not what we're for. Do you know what it sees in Christians that we argue about things? We hate each other because we're different How is this displaying to the world the same love that shows Jesus arms stretched wide, forgiving two criminals, one he sends without? This criminal has nothing, nothing to say thank you. He can't prove it. He just dies and is in eternity with God as a result of his grace and his mercy. That's what we're called to do in this world, to extend that grace and mercy, to share that good news And I am praying with every part of me that God is raising up a generation of young people who are tired of the hypocrisy and are now moving into the calling that Christ has placed upon their life. You are here providentially by the hand and the sovereignty of God to hear this message of commission. Be different. I apologize for my generation I apologize that we didn't talk to you enough about sin. I apologize that we made it all about hype. I apologize. I apologize that we didn't teach you enough about repentance and how you need to turn and follow Jesus. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We should have done better. I'm sorry. But now I'm repenting before you And I'm inviting you into the great commission that I'm in, and I want others to come with me. We no longer can be a joke in our culture. We now need to stand up for what we say we are. And we serve the risen King of kings and Lord of lords who laid down his life, became weak, so he's strong. That is who we serve. That is who we follow, and it's what our world needs Paul stands before the people. He says, there's no Greek. There's no Jew. There's no slave. There's no free. There's just Jesus. There's just Jesus and Jesus people. There are those who choose to follow him and those who don't. And the people who say that they're following Jesus feel overwhelmed by the fact that those people don't know the good news that they've experienced in their own life, that they spend the rest of their life figuring out how to be like Jesus. So we have to crucify ourselves in care. This is what he's inviting Peter into. And this is what he's inviting you and me into. Do you love me? Do you really love me? Then live like me, feed my sheep, and follow me. Follow me. I spent a lot of time in India. India is like my home away from home. I've told you a couple little stories. But one of my greatest joys as I got to be the chairman of the board over this organization, and as we've planted over 2,500 churches in India to reach the unreached people. And so I get the great honor every once in a while flying over and meeting with our pastors. And I go sit with our pastors who are in villages. And just in case you're curious, to be a pastor in, in India is to say, I choose poverty. 
To be a pastor in India is to say, I choose persecution. To say yes to being a pastor in India means I choose for my family being beaten with sticks. I choose for my home to be burnt to the ground. I choose that. And so I was meeting with this pastor, Pastor Abraham. I was meeting him in his small little village. He's a very brilliant man. And he went through our Bible colleges. And I'm like, why are you doing this? Why go through all of this? And he said this to me. Because Jesus loves me. And I want other people to know that love. And can I just be honest? I thought, it can't be that. It's got to be something else, right? Because isn't that what we would think in the West? Because we don't know what it truly means to experience the love of the Father. Because when we do, like Abraham, we're willing to do anything for him. This man has given up everything to go share the good news of Jesus with people who persecute him. Why? Because Jesus loves him. I wonder if you feel that in your soul. I wonder if that would cause you to be bold and strong, but not in a, I'm going to take over the world, but in a Jesus has taken over the world, I'm just going to join him in his work. And that maybe that would stop you from doing this and start doing this and start doing this with your life. Jonah misses out on that. The beauty of what it is to find yourself in peace with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That the good news is about that Jesus Christ loved those who didn't deserve to be loved. He died for those who didn't deserve to be died for. He forgave those who mocked him and spit in his face. And the commission to those of us who acknowledge that good news, receive that good news, is to now carry that out into the streets and the places that we've been called to. This is the beautiful, beautiful story that you're a part of. And I believe in you. I really do. I know you hear this when you come to camp and we tell you you're the great generation and that you're going to change the world and we believe in the youth. And I want you to know I'm going to spend the rest of my life preaching this good news to students and believing in faith that they're going to take that truth and they're going to do something with it. And so I believe that and I'm praying over that and I believe in you. Your pastors, your leaders believe in you that you're going to do the work that he's begun in your hearts. That what has happened on this weekend is not some random act. It is a providential, sovereign moment in the same way it was with Jonah where he is commissioning you and calling you to go reach those who nobody wants to reach. Care for those that nobody wants to care for because he did it for you. And like Paul, I stand with Paul and I say, I am the chief of all sinners. I've received much grace. And so now I want to give that grace to the world. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Thank you that your word is so clear. Oh, it's so clear. And you love us so much. Help us not to live like older brothers. Help us not to live like Jonah. Teach us the rhythms of grace. Teach us your mercy that's new every morning, that covers a multitude of sins. How gracious and good you are, God, to us. May the response of our heart be to worship you through the way we live our lives, following after the example of your son Jesus. 
that we would run the race that you have placed before us, keeping our eyes focused on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. We do this for your glory and your honor in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Father, be with these students. Spirit, lead them and guide them. We love you and we thank you. Amen.